We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Manager declares emphatically that Alexis Sanchez will not be sold. We discuss how he'll be replaced on this edition of the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I am joined by a, a full trio of talented young men, uh, something that we arguably will not be able to say about Arsenal's strike force this season, but we will get stuck into that and the uh, results of preseason friendlies, which Tim has told me uh, off mic that he considers to be among the most important results of the season. First, we have Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello. Hello, indeed. Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. I'm delighted to join this triage of talent. I, I don't think that means what you think it means. And Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. All right. So what we're going to do, we're going to start by discussing uh, the signings we've made since La Cazette. Okay, that's done. We're then going to get stuck into all the players that have left during the clear out this summer. Okay, done with that. Anybody else got anything else? All right, we'll be back for the start of the season in the charity shield. No, okay. Uh, so, Tim, look, I get it. You think preseason friendlies are stupid. They shouldn't be televised and no one should discuss them. So, apart from that, what are your takeaways from the games against Bayern and Chelsea? <laughs> um, well, I, I didn't watch the Bayern game. Um, and... I kind of half watched the Chelsea game because I, I didn't actually have anything better to do, which is really regrettable. K- kidding aside, I mean, <laughs> is there, are there things, I mean, I, I know my opinion, but I want yours because mm. it is far more uh, cherished and revered. Uh, <laughs> are there things we can learn from these fixtures? Uh, not at this stage, no. I think at this stage of preseason, it's, it's purely about fitness. 
And for the younger players, it probably means a bit more than that. But for everyone else, it's just fitness. A lot of the players aren't even playing in um, their actual positions. And, you know, I don't... I mean, if we go to Stamford Bridge in September with Maitland-Niles at centre-back and Cohen Bramall at left-back, then um, expect a pretty generous defeat. I think that's probably what, what we learned and we probably knew that already. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't think that that's very meaningful at all. Um, maybe, I think, maybe the Emirates Cup, possibly. You start to look for a bit more, the players are a bit fitter, um, probably a few more players back and we'll have a few more first-teamers there. But at this stage, I think it is absolutely 100% purely down to fitness and sharpness. I think um, the players had had like a, a couple of double sessions before the game which obviously you wouldn't do during the season the day before a game in 35-degree heat. So it, it's hey, purely hey, Tim, exercise and fitness. Tim, any chance that we played that back three? Uh, you didn't mention Purr, but also an interesting challenge given that he's maybe our slowest centre-back and not our fittest. Any chance we played that back three to make sure the rest of the team had to work really hard during the game for fitness? <laughs> Possibly. I mean, there was, there was quite... Yeah. You've only got to look at, like, I think it was the first goal where Monrail's kind of over at right-sided centre-back and Cohen Bramwell's kind of at centre-back and I think someone was chasing back who was supposed to be in the forward line or something. I mean, it's all over the place, but I think you'd probably kind of expect that um, at this stage. So, yeah, I I, I think as, as much as I've perhaps been a bit hypocritical because I did kind of watch the Chelsea game. I, I do believe that they shouldn't be televised um, at this stage, basically because I think um, supporters nowadays just can't be trusted um, to, to kind of treat them properly. And I mean, ultimately, when... I mean, a shiny penny for anyone that can remember anything that happened in a pre-season friendly ever or who saw something happen in meaningful games during a season and said, do you know what, this traces back to that friendly we played in July. Like, they're, they're completely forgotten the second the season starts. And like, I couldn't tell you who we played pre-season last year. I don't remember at all because it's, it's not significant. And basically none of the stuff that happens um, really gives you any idea about what's, what's going to happen during the season. I think I'm right in saying that the last friendly before the unbeaten season was a nil-nil draw at Barnet um, five days before we started. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that tells you even the later ones where you'd probably be looking for a bit more in terms of sharpness and shape don't really mean an awful lot. And I, I can't ever remember a season, you know, being put down to what happened in pre-season. Like, I can't remember a good one. You know, everyone's no, saying, that's oh, that's because we had a good pre-season but... or a bad one. People saying, yeah, that, that's because of those bad friendlies we played. I mean, I, I just think it's meaningless, and really. I, and I get that, Tim. And I, I don't disagree, especially with respect to results and even with what happens in the game. But, but Paul, I guess my, my question then is, I mean, is, is that the right way to prepare for a season? I mean, aren't, isn't there an argument to be, made, to be made that using these friendlies against, you know, reasonably talented sides that are trying to work themselves into shape also is a chance to get sh a little bit sharper, to put people in the positions where you think they're going to play during the season so they can start to build those uh, auto 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 automations, what does he call them? Aut automatisms, right? 
um, that Wenger likes to talk about, that they understand without having to look where their teammates are going to be, that they understand what space they're going to occupy, that they start to build up a sense of where to be on the pitch during counterattacks and where the weak points are defensively when when the team is coming, the, the opposition is coming at you. I mean, to me, it seems counterintuitive that you take these preseason friendlies and play Ainsley Maitland-Niles at center back or Colin Bramwell or whoever it is and, and play players not in the positions they're naturally going to be playing during the season and not use them as an opportunity to both tactically and positionally and, and just in terms of freshness and sharpness build for the upcoming season. Why else play them? Well, isn't it a bit of both, which is while I agree with where Tim's coming from, um, I, I might venture to may, say that maybe he's overstating it, though he'll, he'll correct me, uh, based on the fact that, uh, you know, he's right. We're not to be trusted. The thing is, I'm to be trusted, right? I can watch these <laughs> Indubitably. things. Indubitably. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've got the formula right, which is if we play well, it's great to get super excited and it's significant. And if we're utter garbage like we were against Chelsea, you'd throw it away as just one of those things. I think it has course, to be a judgment-free zone. Let me stop for a minute, Because I think that's yeah. a really good point. I mean, I do think... We do make that mistake to some extent because everybody told me after we beat, you know, Sydney FC or whatever it was that you could already see how Lacazette was going to make a difference up front. I mean, we are kind of guilty. You know, an Oxley chamberlain has a good preseason and we say this is going to be his breakthrough season or Lacazette scores a nice goal against, you know, Farmers 12 and and it's – I can already see the difference he's going to make. But when we get pretty well handled by Bayern and Chelsea, and I realize we went on to beat Bayern on penalties quite hilariously. but Stuffed them on penalties. Right, yes. Um, and, and Emmy Martinez should get subbed in for all penalties going forward. But but I, I think there's a tendency then to write that off, and that's not to dismiss Tim's larger point, which I totally agree with, that as competitive fixtures, these are meaningless. But, but I mean... Right, so, so I, I still think you have a point, too, which is th- there's no way the manager's just sending out 11 players into random positions and then swapping them after 60 minutes. He's definitely trying things out. And some players on the pitch are being played in a position for a purpose and others are being played to kind of fill in the gaps and just to try something a bit different because somebody needs to stand there. And so maybe the the issue is we don't actually know the thinking. The fun, I mean, there's... To me, there's enjoyment in this. You can speculate and blah, 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 but you've got almost nothing to go on. So if, if you knew that half the players were being played in a position for a real purpose, for some kind of combination to try something out, maybe some young player to see. You know, we have seen in the past players from preseason, young kids from preseason, arguably, uh, making it into the squad on the strength of what they did in preseason, they proved something to the manager. Now, maybe he was always going to play them in the, the squad, but uh, certainly it seems like there have been players who got their shot based on how they performed within the squad, maybe how they fitted in behind the scenes too. Uh, you know, maybe Reese Nelson is going to be our, our backup to our backup wing back based on what he did in preseason. Maybe that's nothing to do with it, but it seems to me like those the guys way down the rung can have maybe more of an impact than somebody like, you know, the manager is probably isn't going to change his mind in any respect, good or bad, on Ramsey or on, you know, uh, Ozil, or he knows what he's got there. But Reese Nelson, maybe Maitland-Niles. Maitland-Niles is obviously never going to play center back for us. 
And it sort of seems unfair to him, right? I mean, if this is his chance to to impress and say, I should really be banging on the door, um, I mean, playing him at center back isn't exactly the way for him to make that last compelling argument for a place in the first-team squad. It isn't. Um, But maybe like in training games, the manager's looking to see how they react, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's making a go or no-go decision on him. He might have been quite interested to see what happens when you put – Maitland Niles under pressure in front of goal. Will he pass under pressure to a safe zone or will he do a hospital pass across the front of his defense and drop us in it, which we've seen him do once or twice. And maybe he wants him to learn quick. It may not be ideal, but we don't have a lot of time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a million guessing games. I think these things have significance. They're also about fitness. They're also about, you know, a, a kind of a, uh, I, I certainly agree with Tim. The problem is if you really wanted to be a judgment-free zone where the players can go and express themselves, try things with a bit of a safety net, having you know your 50,000 uh, Twitter fans slagging you off if you're Ainsley Maitland-Nile mightn't be very conducive to playing bravely at centre-back. But that's the world we live in now. Mm-hmm. We're not just looking for good players. We're looking go- for good players who can operate in the Twitter spotlight with social media and handle themselves. So maybe even that's something that uh, indirectly, you know, gets a- assessed. Not directly, but indirectly. No, how, how they handle the pressure handle of being in yeah. the spotlight, of being with the first team. I get that. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it's. I think it's it's significant and real. The question is where whether remotely equipped to know what's being evaluated or what it all adds up to. Yeah. But right. that that never stopped us before, though this is less information than normal. But Coquelin has been great in preseason so far. <clears throat> so Cool. Good story. Uh, hey, Clive, coach. Hello. You, you give us sort of a, an insight that I think is a little unique due to uh, your understanding of the game. And so I want to get a little bit of a nuanced opinion from you here that I can't – I don't feel I can get – uh, from Tim or Paul, um, what <laughs> what is the appropriate way, and did they execute appropriately apologizing to the entire nation of China uh, for racially abusing them? We're speaking of Chelsea Football Club here. Um, if if from from a sort of coach's perspective, did they execute uh, apologizing to the nation of China properly? You think they nailed that one? Yeah, they got that well. Did, they, did they, well. I feel like this is where the the practice and the expertise comes off, right? Like. They they know how to apologize for racially abusing large swaths of people. I feel like they've had a few issues in their history. They've run into a bit. Yeah, if you missed this, in case anybody listening missed this, uh, Chelsea players apparently were essentially uh, lampooning Chinese people on social media, and uh, the club had to apologize to China. Luckily for them, it's not the most populous country in the world. Wait, I'm being handed something. Uh, it says here that they are the most populous nation in the world. Okay, so <laughs> not ideal, not ideal. Okay, Clive, uh, diving into things more Arsenal-related, though. Um, well, first of all, on the preseason front there, I mean, do, does it annoy you at all? And I, granted, we're still in the early-ish stages of preseason, but given that this is your chance... You know, look, we didn't play with the back three that much. Uh, people felt it was transformative for our season, but we, it was still very much a work in progress towards the end of last season. Does it frustrate you as someone who who does coach football that they're not using this opportunity to at least try to implement the system in a way that reflects a little bit more closely what we might be trying to do during the season? Or do you think it's just a, a byproduct of the, the lack of first-team players available for selection? 
So like preseason comes in phases, right? So the first phase is all about fitness. So if you looked at how they divided up the minutes, all the changes were made around 65 minutes. So people who started games came off at 65 in the main and people who came on came on at that time. And they turned, they switched it around for the second game. So if you looked at it, mostly, most of the players got similar amount of minutes, which tells you the goal, right? So it's minutes without injuries. So you know, I often think what happens and why people have gone crazy online is because people watch the game exactly the same way as they watch a regular season game and they make their judgments. Now, when I watch a regular season game, um, basically I, I watch it as a fan trying to learn, obviously caring very much about the result. But when I watch a pre-season game, I watch it almost like a player. I put myself back into a player's mode. And in a player's mode, pre-season is incredibly important because what happens is every dressing room has a hierarchy. Every dressing room has a pecking order. And when you come back to pre-season, depending how you walk through the door, depending on what your numbers say, what your body fat says, what your weight says, it's saying to the club how much you've done your summer program. And you get an opportunity in the training sessions to really shine and to really get yourself onto onto tours if you're a young player and really impress and show you can deal with the, the company around you. And maybe there are certain players that are maybe third or fourth choice that may get up to second choice depending on how they perform. So I think, think about pre-season as a player's time to really shine and to really get through without any sort of injury. Then you look at the games, and straight away you look at the team selection, and there was very few sort of number one combinations that are out there. Mm-hmm. So so straight away, no combinations, nothing to see. So all you can do is look at the individuals and not the pattern. And if you look at even the Chelsea game, we conceded just before half-time. What does that tell you? We were getting tired. We couldn't quite get to the break. We conceded three goals in in 10 minutes, really, on, on, on game time. That's and a really good observation, the game, by the way. I, I do think yeah, that Bayern and Chelsea just looked a notch fitter based on what They I were a notch fitter. I think that Chelsea game was one game too many due to all the travelling and all the off-field stuff they were doing. It was one game too many. They, they put their stuff into the cases and just shot to the airport straight away and came back. I think we're more likely to see a much more normal arsenal at the weekend. And it's just, it just pre-season. It's just pre-season. But when you're watching it, I do believe you can see things and learn things. I do believe you can look at a, a player, especially new players, to just see how they, see what they do without judging them. You know, to see what they can, how they receive it, how they move it, what their first movements are, what their default movements are, what they do when they're tired, where they go, how they rest, where they rest. If you're looking close, you can see a few sort of habits of players, but you mustn't judge, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's and it's easy to do, by the way. I, I can't say that I'm holier than thou. I've got my thoughts on, on certain players, <laughs> and, um, and I'll tell you now, I'm Not just me. barely keeping it on there. <laughs> i tell you, what are the odds that we found the four guys mature enough not to judge the team, and they're all on this pod? I think, you, yeah, I think exactly. you've hit 75% on that, just FYI. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> idiots are all listening in. Yeah. Good exactly. You, you, but you know what? I'm barely keeping my, my thoughts under my hat because I should be old <laughs> enough and wise enough to not to be judgmental. But it's a struggle. I tell you now, I'm a bit nervous. But, but is it a failure things. preparation, though, Clive? I mean, and again, I get it. You, you don't want to overwork these players. They are traveling. I mean, the, the manager has to be careful from a fitness standpoint. But in terms of building those combinations and, and understanding positioning on the pitch and in a formation that's still relatively new, I mean, 
is this insufficient preparation for the season approaching these games this way, or is this just a run out to get your fitness up? I, I, if you look at preseason, I look at it in, in almost three phases. That that was phase one. Mm-hmm. The Emirates Cup is going to be phase two, and then we're going to see proper team against Chelsea. Phase three, and it's all about Leicester. It's all about Leicester on that Friday. Can I correct you just slightly? Oh, so on, th- this was phase one. Yeah. Okay. Phase two is when the season has started and we look totally unprepared and we don't have our transfer business going. <laughs> and then phase exactly. three is in September when we start to hit a stride uh, before our November collapse. Exactly. But anyway, continue. And then we'll, we'll break to it on, yeah. on the, by, the, you know, by, by Friday night against Leicester. It will be broken and we'll be back to normal. Um, any just quickly, Clive? Any any young players? I mean, again, these these games don't tell us much, and not overreacting. But any young players that you did start to draw any conclusions about? I mean, is it too unfair, like Cole Bramble, for example, to say not not ready? I mean, anything else you do from that? He's not he's not ready. But it's interesting, you know. We we heard he was fast, and he still looked quite fast. Right, he was very safe. When he, had, when he got the ball on the outside, he just ran 10 yards, checked back, and laid it off to Monreal, for example. So he didn't feel quite brave enough. It was all a bit big for him, the, um, the Chelsea game in particular. But the earlier games, he, look, he looked fine. Maitland-Niles, you know, he gave the ball away a couple of times. But I look at things like when he gave the ball away and William ran in on goal, I looked at his speed against a very fast Chelsea player, and I'm thinking, you were catching him. That's that's promising. So he athletically, he can obviously deal with the level. So forget the past. Look at his physicality and say, can you do it? You know, Reese Nelson, no fear at all. Just like brave, give it to me. I'm taking you on. I don't care who you are. At 17, that looks incredibly promising, right? So again, the execution is not important. It's the intent. So if anything, Reese Nelson looked more comfortable in the environment than Cohen Bramwell did. But that's not surprising considering one of them was been at an academy since he was eight. The other one's been packing shelves or whatever job he was doing previously and playing non-league football. So one, you could say that Reese Nelson is probably more experienced this level than than a 21-year-old Cohen Bramwell is. So um, so yeah, it's very, very interesting. But without getting to judgment, it's enough there to say these guys are okay. And let's see how they develop going forward. Can I, can fair, I just say... Um, yeah, yeah. please jump in. By the way, that, that player's name is Cohen Bramwell. I don't know what I was calling him previously, but uh, I assume I will learn it by the time he's scoring hat-tricks for us in the first team this season. I, I think um, the only thing I'd add is the, the only like real question um, you can ask about some of these friendlies is not really based so much on what happens on the pitch, but, you know obviously like there's the whole thing about the traveling at this time of pre-season but as Paul says that's kind of the world we live in now and everyone does it so you're not really at a disadvantage but you know with the kind of the um you know we had some trouble with food poisoning um and I'm not I'm not suggesting by the way that that's you know that's that's like China's fault or anything that can happen as Tottenham will tell you that can happen much closer to home but also I think the pitch at the Bird's Nest Stadium as well looked really really bad i mean um, is it any worse than a bird's nest should be i mean why did they think you could play football on a bird's nest anyway i don't i I reckon that arsene wenger next summer when the next tour happens he might have a word with some of these guys and say look you know i understand you know the marketing guy's got to do your thing and stuff like that but actually there needs to be a balance here and i know i think jose Mourinho said this as well because man you had quite um 
a tumultuous summer last year. They had to call a game off because one of the pitches wasn't good enough. It was the um, bird's nest. It was the bird's nest. Mate. Was it the bird's nest again? Yeah, yeah it was it Man was. U City, and yeah. he's he's apparently taken a much more hands-on approach. I don't think he'd quite been there long enough last time, but this time he's really come in and said, "Look, you know, we'll play these state. I want you know the pitches to be top quality and everything to be." Um, to be kind of in ship shape. And I, I really think someone like Arsene Wenger, who is doing this quite reluctantly anyway, um, I think he'll be he'll be really on at perhaps some of the marketing guys and just saying, look, next year, can we play on, I don't mind doing the travelling, but can we play on some, some proper pitches? You can always come to the States. We've got plenty of good stadiums here. Um, so, all right, we, we will get to the buying and selling, uh, which... I understand is the single most important thing in all of football. So don't worry, dear listener, we will come to that. But uh, we are going to do a new section. Um, I don't know that it'll be a recurring section, but a new section of the podcast. We call this Tim's Eulogy Corner. Uh, If I was so inclined to actually post-produce this podcast, I would intro it with four minutes of sobbing. But we're not going to do that. We're just going to go straight to Tim for a eulogy on Wojciech Chesney. How do I say goodbye? <laughs> How you feeling? Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I, I think it's a shame, but like put, putting aside my personal kind of um, like for the guy. I mean, you know, we we say we want Arsenal to be a bit more ruthless. There's probably stuff we're not quite privy to, and you know, if he felt like the bridges had been completely burned, then you know, fine, that's that's his call. I think we could ask the question. Well, why was he sent on loan again last summer when it's obvious that his goose was cooked and that there was nothing he could really do um, to come back to Arsenal? If that's the case, fine. But, you know, was there is there a good reason that we didn't sell him last summer? Maybe there is. Um, but it's it's a question worth asking, I think. I, you know, I I tend to think it's a bit of a shame because I think next summer we're going to be looking for a goalkeeper. And because um, Petr Cech's going to be 36, Espina's going to be out of contracts. And I find that quite odd that um, another player like David Espina is going to be allowed to run down his contract because surely it's not too difficult to pick up a reserve goalkeeper. Um, so that, that strikes me as a bit of an odd one. And I think if Espina was going to be the first choice, it, it would have happened by now. So I, I kind of think we could have saved ourselves a bit of a problem by taking... Um, you know, a much more mature, rounded, twenty-seven-year-old goalkeeper. Um, but but maybe he didn't want to stay. Um, maybe maybe he he wanted to to go somewhere else. And Juventus is a great opportunity. He's got a great opportunity to learn under Buffon for a year, um, and then try and be number one at Juventus. Which um, you know, it has to be said. That's I, I can understand why a player would go for that if indeed that is the case. But. I don't know, it does seem to me like Chesney's feeling for the club was quite genuine. I'd be surprised um, if he left, you know, if he jumped without being pushed. So I, I do think it's a shame, but, you know, that, that's life. Um, How did you take on. the video of him tearing up at questions about Arsenal uh, during his <laughs> Juventus introduction interview? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that shows you what we've always known, that he has um, a very deep affiliation with Arsenal and, and it means a lot to him. And I, I think he's been quite contrite as well you know I think he realizes that he probably had a, a really good thing going at Arsenal which you know he is responsible for 
for kind of destroying, um, as it were. Um, so I, I think probably some of the emotion was based on that. But I, if he cracks it at Juve and he ends up being the long-term successor to Buffon, which is a lot of pressure. Um, but I mean, if he does that, then you can't say that, that things have turned out particularly badly for him. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a shame because I, I think it's if it's not a problem position now, it's certainly going to be quite quickly. Um, and I, I can only imagine that Arsen has a lot of faith in Emi Martinez. I don't think I've seen enough of him to judge just yet, but I do tend to think if you're 25 and you've got you know under 10 appearances in the Premier League, I, you know I, I I don't know what that says. Um, but nothing, again, nothing great. <laughs> No, but again, if, if Arsenal's seen something in him on the training ground, um, then again, I kind of defer to his superior judgment um, on that. But yeah, I, I'm I'm incredibly sad to see Chesney go. He's, yeah. he's a character I liked, and uh, I, I think he had all all of the materials of a great goalkeeper. And I think he had really had the kind of the attitude I like to see in a goalkeeper. I you know I like a risk taker. Um, in goal, or rather someone who's assertive and who isn't afraid of making mistakes. And, you know, Chesney didn't always get that balance right when he was younger, but it, it didn't seem to affect him. And I think that that speaks to a really good character and the sort of character you, you want in your goal. David Seaman was very similar. Jens Lehmann was very similar. Um, and they're the best goalkeepers we've had in the last kind of 25 years or so. So um, I, I, I think Chesney's going to go on to become... Um, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and it's it's very sad that he isn't going to do that. Arsenal, maybe, you know, maybe there are some parallels um, to the Ashley Cole thing here. Obviously, Ashley Cole left under a bit more of a cloud, and the situations aren't identical. But um, you know, I think once we all calmed down a bit, it was very very sad to see Ashley Cole kind of um, achieving his potential and winning all these trophies in a Chelsea shirt instead of an Arsenal shirt. And uh, I kind of get the feeling it, it won't be as bad, obviously, because, you know, there isn't the same rivalry between, uh, between Arsenal and Juventus as there is Arsenal and Chelsea. But I've just got a feeling this is another one where we're going to watch Wojciech Szczesny perhaps, you know, win a Champions League, um, win a few league titles and, you know, be, be quite sad that he's, he's not doing that with Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if somewhere down the line we're talking about going back to get him from Juventus after he's had a few years there. I mean, it, it, a lot can change, and if, if the obstacle is really Arsene Wenger and if he still has the club in his heart, um, you never know. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, I don't like to get into conspiracy theories, but I think you have to at least look at the fact that within days of... Chesney being announced and unveiled at Juve and all these people, all these Arsenal fans crying about him. The somewhat unpopular goalkeeper, David Ospina, goes out and punches a Chelsea player in the face. Like, <laughs> maybe, yeah, trying a little too hard there, David. We get it. You want us to like you. Um, all right, Paul. The managers come out and said unequivocally, Alexis Sanchez will be in the team for next season. So uh, which team, PSG or Manchester City? <laughs> he, he will definitely be in a team. No question. Yeah. He What's going to happen with Alexis Sanchez? He's definitely not going to PSG because neither Arson wants it, nor does uh, Alexis Sanchez. Uh, I mean, it's kind of crazy, say. right? They're not going to get Neymar now. I mean, now they've got a little bit of egg on their face. You start telling people you're going to spend 220 million euros and bring Neymar to your club, you can't then turn around and not get anybody. Right? I mean, does, doesn't this almost yeah. force them to now throw crazy money at Alexis, which 
potentially the player and and Arsenal have to look at? Well, except uh, even they have some kind of wage uh, hierarchy. And if he's, you know, I mean, PSG called him greedy. That'll tell you something. <laughs> so if if they think his wage demands, you know, BR, uh, Bayern said the same thing. So there's two big European clubs saying, this guy's fucking crazy, or his agents are. So it's almost like uh, Alexis is sending in his agents to talk to these guys uh, to piss them off so bad that Arsenal's only left with the city option, is, the nuclear is, option. Is Dick Law also Alexis Sanchez's agent? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no. Okay. No. I just figured um, if it's someone who's that even bad at your negotiating. conspiracy skills can't contrive can't that one, that surely. Existence. So, all right. So, I mean, if you then think that that's the case, that PSG can't, I mean, it doesn't appear, at, at least City the rumors that, that City, I mean, we, we haven't been privy to any particularly compelling City offer or any news that it's imminent, but do you still see it going that way? Or do you genuinely believe the manager will hold him to his contract? So my concern will be that that there's a false piece at the moment because the thing that's missing here is Alexis kicking up any kind of stink. Um, and maybe they're just waiting until he's done on his vacation to come back. Maybe it's just a timing thing. I mean, I'd like to think that um, we can see a way forward and he stays with us and, and we have a go at, at him uh, re-signing with us or at least he stays the year and plays his heart out. Uh, but I've a sneaking suspicion it's a it's a false piece that we're waiting for him to get back. He's really waiting to get back uh, so he can say some things that are he has this Van Persie moment where he arranges. There was some talk about sit down meetings with the manager. You know, you can see Wenger dusting off that eye patch he had for the RVP meeting. And um, they're getting down to business and, you know, the Alexis statement and... Well, if it goes know, as well I, as the Van Persie meeting went, then <laughs> I mean, well, exactly. he's going to be in sky blue by August. Yeah, my well, things are different, but but still, I, I, don't, I don't think we'd sell him because we needed the money where we would sell... We did sell RVP in those times because we just couldn't see the $25 million. Yeah. Okay. Um, because you can argue the financial finances are worse for us there's a hell of a lot to be said for keeping alexis for an extra year his most valuable year will be that first year so you can say that's if he's worth 50 or 60 million signing fee to city for you know three good years out of four then you know there's 15 or 20 million we're saving there we're saving his wages it's there's the sponsorships there's the opportunity to get back into the champions league and to stay there for a couple of years it's pretty easy to make the case that financially we're better off to keep him than to take the 50 million okay all right and and or, i don't or i don't least, necessarily disagree but i want to it's a close debate yeah. no I, I can see that cuz i'm going that leads me to a good question for Clyde, but i want to get you on the record here do you think he's staying so I go back and forward on – you can name the three or four sagas, including the Ox and whoever, and I don't fucking know. I change from day to day. I, I felt it, I felt mostly that he's, he's going to push it at some stage, and we're going to end up selling him when City gets serious with a real offer. Okay. Uh, and I have – maybe a third of the time I think uh, we'll stay, he'll stay and we'll make it work. 
and two thirds of the time I think he'll get sold. I, I have no idea. Awesome. That cleared that right up. All right, Clive. Yeah. Um, yes. I'm going to – so Paul made a good point. He said, you know, financially it might be in our, our benefit actually to keep Alexis and lose him for free next summer more than selling him this summer, and I can buy into that, and there's a lot of ways you can defend that. What you can't defend is losing Alexis for nothing next summer and Ozo for nothing next summer and Oxley chamberlain for nothing next summer and so on and so on and so on and we're kind of in that situation so you're going to have to start recouping fees for the players that can get you fees if your end game is really we're holding Ozil and we're holding Alexis and we're crossing our fingers we can resign them but we're willing to lose them for nothing if that's what happens then you have to start cutting bait and getting fees for people and that means people like Olivier Giroud who you could get 30 million for right now when you're lucky to get 15 next summer or an Oxlade Chamberlain who maybe you get 30 million for when you'd lose him for free next summer you can't do that with every player so in your mind if Alexis were to stay, who are the guys that go? I mean, what what moves are we going to make to offset this potential loss of transfer revenue that that we're clinging to with with or that we're committing to with Alexis and Ozil? That's that's what, that's your assumption, man. We we all know we got about eight or nine players that could go, and, and, and none of us would cry cry ourselves to sleep if they went, right? Because we know that we need to freshen up. But I sort of take a slightly wider view on this, actually. Um, it is quite similar to the Van Persie situation when, at the time, Van Persie was the number one forward in the league. Fergie's in his last year, and he took a selfish view that he wanted him. And he got him for 24-plus million, and he committed, I don't know how many, tens of millions, to um, on wages over a four-year four period. And basically, that deal cost Manchester United around £70 million for one league title because a year or so after, his legs started to go and he was done. But Manchester United can do that. where do I sign for that? (laughs) Because I take that right now. That's it. And and that was Arsenal's year at the time. We were as financially strong as we are today. So that was Fergie being selfish. He got what he wanted. He he went up into sunlight with his league title. And there are rumours coming out of the club from various in-the-know people saying that Wenger's now getting selfish. And he's looking at this and saying, I'm going to keep him. I'm going to keep him because I care what happens to me now. There's no point in me being magnanimous about the forward thinking of the club when Sue's lose three games, there's A4 balance all over the place. So the rumours are he's being selfish. He's been more ruthless. How he's treated Lucas Perez, for example. I, I, that's, that's, not, that's not Arsenal. That's not Arsene Wenger, that's not how he treats people. So um, so maybe there's a change there in his dynamic. And I'm not used to it. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it. But I like the fact that he's being more ruthless. I don't want a place, I don't want Arsenal to be a place where people can't wait to leave. I want it to be a place where people are crying when they leave. Because it's so good. And because we're selling people at the right time. That's what we used to do. Now we're hanging on to people till they become so comfortable that we haven't got the right culture in place. So people feel it's a right of passage to be at the club. Well, it can't be that way. As far as I'm concerned, if you don't do it, you should go. And that's elite sport at the highest level. And the most important thing for Arsenal, in my opinion, has got to be to get back into that top four minimum absolutely imperative we do not make this be a two three year thing where we can be deemed a Europa League club I don't care what we got to do to get back there this year I forget the numbers forget the accountants forget reasonable thinking we have to be back there because that's the stature of our club B 
being positioned back in that level is the only thing that matters. And I, and I would, I would be in the Europa League. I'd be in everything to be back at that top level because okay. it's so important for so many other reasons going forward. So I, yeah, I don't I, necessarily disagree with that, but but can, can you and I have a little argument real quick? Of course we can. Okay, awesome. Uh, I'll be like your Sydney FC for for getting you into arguing shape. Just your little punching bag here. Um, <laughs> I think we should 100% sell Oxlade Chamberlain this summer. Can yeah, yeah, give me wouldn't bother any? Me. Okay, oh, good. Oh, then we're not going to argue because because I know you have an affinity for the player. I like the player. Yeah. I like the player, but we don't know what he is yet. Right? Is he? He's a, he's a utility player playing for a top four, top five club in the Premier League, and supposedly he's not happy. Depending on what what you if you believe what you and he read. goes for free next summer if we don't get a deal out. We gotta sell him because yeah. then we can buy a we can buy a player to do a specific job, right? So we have a we have a we have a Swiss Army knife of a player who I really really like at twenty three. He can play all those positions and look good in most of them. That's fantastic. He doesn't want to sign. Doesn't appreciate where he is. Sell, yeah. just sell, and oh. go and buy somebody to do a specific job. And we gotta change our attitudes. I love the player. I like El Nenny. Right in a four-two-three-one, I like him. In a three-four-two-one, he doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Sell, right? Well, so I think it tells you something too when you know you're getting bids of eight million or nine million for a player that we're sitting here. You know, I don't mean Ox, I mean El Nenny. You know, it gives you kind of an idea of what the value on the open market is. Yeah, and it also tells you something which really bothers me, and I'm, I'm not quite sure how to articulate it, but there seems to be some players that go to certain clubs like Chelsea and even Spurs. And they seem to appreciate and value almost beyond belief. And when you come to Arsenal and you don't quite do it, you you plummet. It's almost as if there's like an Arsenal tax. Because Arsenal players play a certain way. They're seen as flaky. They play a certain way. When they go to other clubs, they don't succeed. We've got talented players. And the prices that have been offered for them are very, very low. In comparison to Gilfie Sigurdsson, which is 45 million, I hear, 50 million. Why is that the case? Why is Callum Chambers, why are Crystal Palace offering sixteen million for him? Because he's seen as damaged goods. And that, that's something that we do to people. And I'm not sure I'm articulating this correctly. I'm sure someone else will pick up on it. But I don't like what happens. When players come to Arsenal, they shouldn't be damaged. They should be seen as players that have played at a top level, top focus. You can use that asset. Well, Clive, couldn't a big part of it problematically be sort of, and I know we don't really have this anymore, but the vestiges of the socialist wage structure in that if a player doesn't quite make it at Arsenal, but you put him on 70,000 a week, I'm not saying that's what counts. You can't move Crystal Palace can't spend 30 million on him and pay him 70,000 a week. So you're not going to get the fee if they've got to take the wage, right? And I mean, who the hell is going to buy Theo Walcott on his current wage? You know what I mean? We're stuck with him. And well, there might be something there. to that as well, Elliot, if I can just yeah, quickly add. Jump, jump. If you look at the cha- the Chambers scenario, I mean, he had a good season by everybody's measure. Yeah. So he, if to to coin a phrase, he he's washed the Arsenal stink off him as much as you can, Emperor, yeah. per, per Clive's point. He had a good season. And so maybe in his case, at least, it's the wages versus the Arsenal stink, if it exists. Yeah, it's just look, quite interesting. Sorry, mate. It's go, just quite ahead, interesting. Bournemouth, Bournemouth, twenty million. Nathan Aki done. Callan Chambers played for England. Further on his development, Crystal Palace offering sixteen million. Why? Why is that? No, why is that? They're, they're comparable players, similar ages. One's actually played in the Champions League, probably a bit more experience. 
Why is that? And it's like it's like it's an arsehole tax, and I, I don't like it. I'm not sure I'm getting this right in my articulation, but I don't like the the way our players are perceived by the, the external market as such. Yeah, and and I mean, it, it seems like we might have a bit of a weakness at the moment too, in that. A lot of clubs out there know we have a shitload of players. Yeah, we got to we got to dump play, player contracts. Yeah, and, and so they're all kind of fish. You know, there's no harm in putting in a somewhat derisory bid because they know, you know, lots of clubs are going to put out some feelers to see if we'll, we'd sell for ten or fifteen while they got to bid in for somebody else for twenty five and just see what happens. Yeah, uh, and if you're like if you're selling Wojciech Chesney for ten million pounds, yeah. You know that that it's like what happened with Man City, right? With Bernard Mendy, they offered a certain amount, and Monaco turned around and said, "Well, hang on, you paid fifty million for Carl Walker, and he's better than Carl Walker." So they ended up paying an extra ten million, and this is almost like a kind of diseconomies of scale. Really, clubs are looking at us and saying, "Well, um, you you sold Wojciech Chesney for ten million, so why am I going to offer you know twenty million for for Callum Chambers?" Yeah, it, it's crazy to see Kyle Walker going for fifty million pounds, and then you know you add up all the players we're going to sell this summer, and they may not get fifty million. I, Tim, I mean, is is the problem here that Ars- without a director of football, Arsene Wenger is juggling so many balls that he's he's lost sight of the contracts, and what's basically happened now is you know sixty percent of our team is out of contract within the next two years, and it's mm. just a mess. I mean, how do we? get control of what appears to be a totally out of control contact contract situation with the squad. I mean, what, what's, what's the cure here? Is it just mass offloading? How, how are we going to fix this? Well, well, um, it, I mean, it kind of does look like that. It does look like, you know, from the outside and we can only infer so much because we don't really know, but it does kind of look like that Arson has, uh, there's this kind of double jeopardy where arson has got a massive workload that he can't handle, but at the same time he won't accept help. <laughs> With it, but I think um, the club have probably probably been a bit cute with a number of their kind of behind the scenes appointments this summer, and and the lawyer they brought in, and I think they made sure to say um, through the press that this lawyer was specifically to work on player contracts, which is obviously because you know they think they're in a bad position. And to be honest, we were here what five six summers ago when we had you know the likes of Bentner, Danielson, Almunia. Um, Arshavin, Skilarchi and all of these players we didn't want but they were on such high salaries that we couldn't shift them um, we ended up basically paying Danielson to leave um, we, we did something similar with Andre Santos actually although he, he actually waived um, the fee to, to hasten his exit but we ended up with all of that kind of deadwood and, and you know what May, maybe that's that's just quite natural that's, that's maybe not as unhealthy a thing as we're making out um, that you know, every few years your squad players need refreshing, and it's difficult to really renew their contracts and pay them a lot more if they're not squad players. And I and I tend to think some churn in your squad players is quite healthy, um, because but it's only healthy if they're leaving because they want to play. So someone like you know Olivier Giroud, there were whispers around him, and and I think there still will be because the players intimated that he's considering his future. Like I, th- I think that's that's quite a healthy thing because he wants to play. He fights very, very hard to get in the team. He really pushes the guys ahead of him, and he's desperate to play every week. And that's that's the kind of player you want, really, as as a squad player. But unfortunately, what we've got is we've got a few who are who are basically just kind of sitting around, and um, it, it, it 
it does look to me like we're going to have to do a bit of a mass offload and I wouldn't be surprised if most of it didn't get done till the last week of the window um, because as Paul said you know if you're if you're a buying club why on earth would you would you go into a massive rush to buy Kieran Gibbs there's not an awful lot of interest in him because of the salary issue we're going to have to accept a slightly um, lower sum of money um, and so unless we can create like a bidding war um, of some sort then teams will just bide their time they will leave it to the last week um, of the window when when we're really in a position where we have to uh, mm. we have to sell and as, so long as they so long as those players do end up going I don't think that's an enormous problem in that um, you know, it's not that disruptive. They're not part of the plans. They're not going to be, you know, it's not like playing a player for those first three games and not knowing his future. None of them are going to be involved. So to some extent, you can just put them to one side. Um, how they influence incomings. I mean, like Kieran Gibbs doesn't influence incomings because we've already bought a left back. And, you know, Arsenal's obviously made a decision about his goalkeepers. So Chesney leaving doesn't change any of his plans but you know the likes of Wilshire and Chamberlain those two potentially do um, because you know that's that's those are two players who to different extents would need replacing uh, you know we spoke about this on the last pod I think we need a central midfielder anyway and if Chamberlain goes you know he he would to some extent need replacing too um, I, I'm with you guys. I think we should just sell him at this point. Um, I completely understand if, if he wants to go because he wants to play central midfield somewhere. I'm very dubious that he'll be able to do that at a club that is either on or above Arsenal's level. I think if he wants to do that, he's going to have to take a little step down. But if that's what he wants, fine. I mean, I, I'd rather ke- I'd rather he signed a new contract and we kept him. But ultimately... Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain leaving isn't going to be the difference between Arsenal winning the title and not winning the title. Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil, yes, and to some extent, you can, you know, Arsenal getting quote-unquote bent over by Alexis Sanchez is kind of tolerable because he's the sort of player that if we're going to win, like if we lose him, we definitely won't win the league. It's as simple as that. So, you know, it's kind of his situation is a bit more tolerable. But, you know, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is not that clutch player and I think we've got areas of the squad that we need to address and I think we could address them quite simply by selling him for a good price and, and buying you know, a good central midfielder or, or a good creative player um, of some sort. So I, I'm not sure I really understand why guys like Chamberlain and Espina um, and even Jack Wilshere, maybe that's different because you know, who would be interested in Jack Wilshere at this stage? But I don't understand why we're why we're getting like why we're getting the shaft from guys who don't make it into our first eleven. Yeah, um, I, I find that quite odd. And my theory on it is basically that Arsene Wenger finds buying players such a pain in the ass that he can't bear to let them go because he knows that if he lets them go, he's going to have to go out and buy someone and deal with the agents and. You know, and everything like that, which which he obviously finds really, really difficult. So, um, I mean, the answer would would be for him to either have a better quality or quantity of support. But whether he'll accept that or not, um, I don't know. Sure doesn't seem like it based on his comments about director of football a few months ago. I mean, I, I think 
the problem is, and, and we do this, you know, you say, oh, well, we should sell Callum Chambers, and inevitably someone pipes up and goes, oh, I've got a lot of time for Callum Chambers. He's a decent player. Well, sure, he is, but you know what? Some of these guys have to be sold while they have value. You know what I mean? Like, Oxley Chamberlain is a good player. I don't think any of us deny that. But there's a chance you can get 30 million pounds for him. And at the end of the day, we're still talking about a guy who's about to turn 24 who has never established a position that is his, never proven he can be a regular first teamer. And on the rare occasion he's looked like he was going to become one, he's had injury problems. And again, that's not to say he's not a great player or couldn't become a great player, but managing is about making hard choices. And part of those hard choices is selling players who have value to make room for players that more clearly fit a role in your team. And so... I'd sell Giroud, I know that's not going to surprise anybody, and recoup the $30 million and sell Chamberlain for $30 million and try to get 15 for Chambers and 10 for for Gibbs and 10 for Wilshire and you know clear out some of those players because we do still need a central midfielder. We could use another wide forward. Maybe you go and get Lamar and maybe you also go and get Mares, you know, and those become the level now of players that are, are challenging for spaces in the squad. I mean, if we don't do that next summer, Ox goes for free, Alexis goes for free, Ozil goes for free, Ramsey's got one year left, and we arguably have to sell him. I mean, you start looking at the squad, and it is gutted for quality. Going into Arsene Wenger's last year as manager, with basically Lacazette looking around and going, hello, is anybody still here? Um, I mean, it's, it's not the situation we want to be in. And so, Paul... Um, getting to sort of a 20,000-foot view here, if we don't make any more signings and there are no major outgoings, I mean, apart from maybe like, a, you know, a Gibbs or maybe a Wilshire who you may consider a major outgoing for emotional reasons, but clearly not going to influence our squad in a major way this season. Um, if this is sort of the squad as it looks right now, how worried are you? Uh, so we keep Alexis. We keep Alexis. Ozil. Yep, Ozil and them. But but no, nobody else comes in. I mean, is is this a, is this a squad that can compete now? I mean, are yeah. we are we uh, close? except midfield? Except midfield. Well, that absolutely. Is a problem. Yeah. So if you told me this was our attack, if you told me this was our defense, no problem. Now, can we win the league? I don't know. You can certainly get top four. I think, God forbid, we we might even be able to compete for the title through April, maybe even into the early parts of May with a bit of luck um, and have a, a pretty good run at the Europa League. But without a, an extra midfielder, I mean, you know, we all know the arguments. We've had uh, the debate. It's not even an argument. For, for us ne- never to argue about this tells you something. Yeah, that it's got to be uh, yeah. obvious. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ramsey and Shaka, even if you love that pairing, you can't anticipate Aaron Ramsey playing 38 Premier League games. No, and uh, Granite's due, you know, a few few uh, yellow cards and a, and a reds at some stage. And just, you need different looks for different games. And when we switch to a 4-2-3-1, as it's implied, we might want to do from time to time during the season. Then Chaka and Ramsey are, are nowhere near the same balance of pairing. There are teams that will take that apart, yeah. who will run through our middle. And if you don't, you know, if you can't defend the middle of your spine, um, the, the better teams will take you apart. And so we need another option. And, and if the two of them prove to be great and play for 38 games, that's wonderful. Or if there are people out there who, who think that could happen, that's wonderful. But why gamble on it? 
the other big team. Jesus, Mourinho's stacking them to the roofs. Yeah. The rooftops. So, you, you know, he's now looking for one more striker. I mean, he's well, got like Pep. seven. I mean, Pep, Pep's yeah. not being shy about taking the checkbook out this summer either. No. So you you need layer one, two, and three. It's not, it isn't Chak and Ramsey, and, and if you defend those guys, then you're, you're against whatever. I mean, it should, should be blindingly obvious to everybody that a central, a strong, not just a backup. Now, he has to fit into the overall psyche of the team, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But clearly, my God, if if Arson does that, I mean, Jesus. It's worrying. There's no saving. I have a a thought exercise, But we have a lot of time. That said, we have a lot of time. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's worryingly quiet. I have have sort of a thought exercise. I was just kind of thinking about this, because I know we all have varying opinions about Francis Coughlin, and, and I... Uh, don't pref- don't prefer him. I, you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying I hate the guy, but if there was a cannon powerful enough to fire someone into the sun, I'd use it on him. Um, but here's and a he would bounce, hop back up, run straight back in, make a tackle. He, he'd two foot the sun right out of right out of the solar system. Um, question for you, just just I mean, I, I know this is pointless because it's not happening, but let's say we were selling Francis Cochran this summer. Jesus. Genuine curiosity, yeah. like. What do you think the fee for Francis Coughlin would be? And oh. and I'd buy him where for he... forty million. Oh, for God's sake! Uh, no, seriously, what? I mean, what's let's say fee? Arsenal was selling Coughlin. Who buys him? I mean, is it is it West Ham for fifteen million pounds? Is it? You know, I mean, yeah. that's probably Maybe. the limit, right? Yeah. And and again, that's not meant to be like, haha. See, he's terrible. I'm just saying, it is a case of like, this is someone who's who's an interesting contributor to our squad, but. I think in terms of his level in, in European football, you know, he, he's still, for me, not someone who should be getting regular starts. And I worry if no, we don't address it, central midfield, it, he will be. We don't have a thing called special teams in, in football, you soccer like football. NFL, like NFL special teams, like yeah. punters, kickers. Yeah, exactly. But in he's American kind of football, he'd be special teams. I get you. Uh, and against certain teams in certain pairings, I think he can do a pretty good job. And he may develop, but that's a big maybe. He, yeah, he's he's certainly a player that that has a skill set, but it's one that I think if he's starting for us regularly, holds us back. All right, so Clive, um, I mean, if you had your dream scenario now of sort of reshaping the squad a little, what are like two or three moves you think we legitimately could make that we need to be making right now for this for this summer to round out the way it needs to, and us to be, you know. Hold hold your laughter till the end of the podcast. Uh, a Premier League title contender. <laughs> yeah, I think um, when I look at this to squad, I, I look at I look at the team, I look at the players, and I look at I look at our competitors as well. I say, okay, we're gonna have to win those games away from home, or at least compete in them. So I look at what Manchester United have done, and they've just bought a whole load of basketball players, right? And they're just bought these massive athletes. They're very tall very physical they're going to be very um they're going to be quite they're going to move from zone to zone they're going to press teams back and they're going to wait for mistakes and they're going to be a they're going to be a pressure team that play in areas they're going to be hard to play against Tottenham haven't done anything yet they're going to promote a couple of youngsters they've got a young center midfielder called Josh Onoma who's their who's their equivalent of Maitland-Niles or maybe a year or so older and those two, you never know what the future will hold for, for England in the centre midfield. But he's a very interesting player, quite progressive. 
They think a lot of Harry Wings. And they're sitting there quite smartly and thinking, well, let's wait for this all to calm down and see what we can do late in the window. Man City, we all know what they're doing. And then and then we look at Liverpool, who are, who are flashing their legs at certain players. They're speeding up their team slightly. More of the same. If they get Van Dijk and shut the back door, that could be a problem. If they get Naby Keita, I'm quitting football forever, by the way. Yeah, they shut the back door and they and then they're very they're very fast. They're very through the third. They might drop Coutinho into into the midfield three and play him in an Iniesta role. That's going to be a problem for a lot of teams. And they've got Salah pace up front. If Mane stays fit, that's a problem. You've got to admit it; it's a problem. So then you look at Arsenal, and I still feel, and maybe we talk about the friendlies, and we we don't think we've learned something, but. When you're watching that game, oh, I just I just missed Alexis so much. He's the spark. He, he's he's the best player in the league, in my opinion. And, um, and I don't I think we lack a bit of star quality. I, I just think we need players who can lift the fans off their seats. Um, really, just add some star quality to the team. Some some real entertainment. I think Alexis provides a lot of that. Erzul's um, very much a team player, very much a, an acquired taste for many, even Arsenal fans. But I'd like to see somebody come that's a star, a star player with star dribbling skills, a flashing goal scorer. I, I, I want to see that. I don't like the centre midfield as it is. We've got one working partnership in this formation, and we both know they are. They're not the the they drew a hamstring. Let's put it that way, right? So, um, and at the back. We've got a number of defenders that look better in a three. But who, you know, we've got Koscielny. But who is the man? Who is the man for the future? Who is our reference point? I just think we lack two or three reference points in this team. You're not convinced uh, 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 it's El Nenny? No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not convinced it's him. Uh, we, 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 Koscielny is, is great. We all love him, right? But when he's not there, we all saw what happened in the Bayern games, right? So we need something else there in my opinion in the back three something and I, I'm sorry with lots of fans are holding a Mustafi and Merzak or Vettavir. I'm sorry we need something there and um, and we also need a reference point in centre midfield and I'm not talking 14th man I'm talking in the team to really challenge that whole dynamic there as well and if we do that I, I think we'll be okay but it depends how far we want to go what do we want to do and I, I, I'm not sure and right now we're why we're debating on on podcasts is great, but there still is no semblance of a plan yet. I don't sense a strategy yet. It's probably a bit early to be critical, but we bought a, a centre forward that's, that people like. Um, we've got a left back that I think we think is suited to the league, but I haven't got a plan yet about the key positions in centre midfield, centre half, or maybe another. Uh, another sort of inside forward with a bit of creativity. So, um, and that's what we need to do. So we're just right there. Just, you know, just tap, tap, tapping on that door right there. <laughs> Feeling good about that. Yeah, <laughs> we're not there yet. I don't want to judge too much. Mm. Interesting names are out there. Um, Lamar is quite an interesting player. He looks like somebody that's got the personality to play in our interior of our team and really go and get the ball and really be a dominant ball-playing midfielder in his way, not a Pogba way, but in a I'll come and get it, similar to Santa Cazorla type way and really move the ball around quickly and sharply. We we miss that type of player. Um, so there's, there's, there's lots of names out there. It'd be interesting to see what we end up executing on and then we can see the plan. 
and then we can start to discuss how we're going to play. Because mm-hmm. if you spend 50-plus million on a centre-forward like Lacazette, you cannot play the way you played last year. No. We have to change. So we have to become a team that's far more out of possession, a, a little bit more, so we can create the gap for him to show his skill on timing and arriving in the box. So we've got lots to do. And I'm, I'm going to the Emirates Cup this weekend. I'm interested to see how we play. What what style we develop into? So, um, and then we can decide. Then we can see the semblance of a plan. Then we can start to think. Okay, now he may buy this player because I know how we're going to play. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And, and it's got to get figured out. I mean, I, there is still still time for my nightmare scenario of Alexis to be sold and Lacazette to play behind Giroud um, to come to fruition. That could still happen. Uh, let's wrap it up, Tim. I'll end with you just really quickly. If this is it, if this is the squad as it's going to be, no major changes. Are you ready to just say, "Let's go"? I'm I'm behind the boys. Come on, lads, go out and do your thing. Come well, on up the arsenal and and all that. Or or are you ready to get some A4 paper? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm always like that anyway. I, I know um, the former, the former. <laughs> um, but I mean, to be honest, no, I still think we need um, a central midfielder if we're serious about competing for the league title and I just don't you know following on from what Clive was saying about there being a plan I I just don't believe that Arsene Wenger wants to be in the situation on September the 1st where Chamberlain, Espina, Wilshere, um, Ozil and Alexis are all potentially able to run their contracts down I think there has to be some developments there but what's quite odd is that you know guys like Ozil, like there's there's nothing around Ozil at the moment. There's no um, there's no transfer rumours. There's no you know the, there's just nothing. No one seems to be interested in him. But at the same time, you know the the contract. No matter what, I mean Ozil's a player that's that's very cute with his publicity. Um, and so you know I, I take what he said last week with a little bit of a pinch of salt. He's a guy who manages his image very very well. Um, there doesn't really seem to be any progress on his contracts there's no progress on Chamberlain there's no progress on Espina yet they all went on tour so you know they all look to some intent to all intents and purposes to be in the manager's plans for next season so um and, and I just I can't believe that he'll want that to be the case on September the 1st so what's going to happen in those in those scenarios um I I tend to think he doesn't know um, to be honest, and that unfortunately, I, I tend to think there probably isn't a plan. He's just going to wait and see how things mm. unfold and see where we are on September the first. And um, yeah, I, I suspect that this summer might might go the way of several others. But if everything stayed the same, um, I, you know, I don't think we've got enough really to win the league. Um, and you know, we're we're going to be in a situation next summer, like you say, where there's going to be five or six players who can go on Bosman's. And then, you know, that makes next summer really tricky because we'll lose five or six important first team squad members for free. um, And we'll have to go about replacing them and we'll have a massive workload all over again, which we probably won't be able to cover. So, you know, it, 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 I'm I'm not, obviously I'm not at the pitchfork stage um, in July, but, I've always had the feeling that this summer was going to slightly unravel, and and I still have that feeling, um, to be quite honest with you. And I, I, there's not much has persuaded me different 
um, differently from that. I, I still think there's an awful lot to do and um, we haven't done enough of it yet for me to be hopeful that come August the 11th we're going to be in really good shape. I think come August the 11th we're still going to have big questions over certain players who are probably going to be playing in the games as well and we're not going to know whether they're still going to be at the club in a couple of weeks' time. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get preemptively annoyed about it because it hasn't happened yet, but I tend to think that's the way things will go, unfortunately. Well, that's encouraging. Look, pro tip, always keep the pitchfork close by. There's no reason for it to ever be more than a hand, <laughs> an arm's length away. I, I think it, it is worrying. And look, the one thing you would say is that if five or six regular first-team players are out of contract next summer and gone on a Bosman or so, something like that, then you have to say, is, is Arson's position tenable for one more season because you say if we're really rebuilding at that level do you want a guy with one year left as manager doing the rebuild or do you want the new team you know the new director of football new manager whatever it may be overseeing that rebuild so the manager really has to resolve these issues going into this season or he's already not just putting this season at jeopardy but next season and his position as well and we know we're always you know a, a bad result away from the a4 paper coming out so, you know, we, we can't have this whole season being a prelude to that. I, I, I think there's still a good chance. I mean, look, if you keep Alexis, you're keeping arguably the best player in the Premier League. Ozil, with a real preseason under his belt, rested and ready, could be something special. The back three could be the key to our success. If Ramsey can stay relatively fit, the Ramsey-Shaka partnership seems to work. Kovacic could be great. I mean, there's, there's a lot. Not Kovacic, sorry. Uh, Kolasinac. Kol- 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 I would like us to sign Kovacic by the way. Yeah, uh, me too. But, but, but putting, putting my fantasy uh, blending into reality aside, I, I think there's a scenario where this actually works out all right, but then, you know, that still leaves the question of have we left ourselves too much to do down the road? So we'll see. Um, there's a lot of preseason left, so a lot of meaningful preseason games for Tim to analyze. I do want to give a quick shout-out to Tim's uh, blog on Chesney leaving and what it means to be a fan and having favorite players and stuff. I thought it was excellent if you didn't get a chance to read it. Um, I pretty much just summed it up, so you can skip it. Anyway, uh, Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Uh, Tim, thank you as always. Yeah, my pleasure. Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Clive can be found at Clive PAFC on Twitter as well. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. Enjoyed that. I did as well. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner, as you should be doing. Please do give us a five-star review and write nasty stuff about us in the comment section. Uh, I will be, uh, as always, uh, shitposting on Twitter if you need me. Anyway, uh, we'll probably come back after the next round of preseason games, after Lamar signs and Mara signs and Aubameyang signs and Kovacic signs, and we just have Nabi Keita in reserve on the bench. It'll be brilliant. I can't wait to discuss it with this panel of exceptional uh, men of incredible footballing intellect. In any event, uh, I hope you're enjoying your summer. We'll have more in the near future. Talk to you then. And I'll take